This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking very demure in his grey and yellow, we have Alan Edward Herbert Grey, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. And from a cloudy Norfolk to a sunny Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen, looking absolutely delightful. I love your stripy jumper. That's good. <laughs> Very stripy. Um, anyone who's watching the video, you'll notice that I um, I pointed with the hand different to normal because the other one's trapped underneath the dog. Uh, Alan's <laughs> got his pup on his lap as well. And uh, Val's cat. Oh, there's there's Margot. Uh, uh, Val, your cat's just gone off to the vets or might be on your lap. I don't know. No, gone off to the vet with a poorly paw. <laughs> yeah, well, soon. To, is yes. it Frank the cat? Frank. He's the new rescue cat. Joe and I decided to get another cat. We made a list. We said we're going to get a smooth-haired female who's young. And we went there and we fell in love with Frank, who is a very ragged ginger tom of indiscriminate age. <laughs> and um, Ned, who um, was the refuge manager at the RSPCA, um, he said to Joe, which cat are you going to have? And Joe said, the most inappropriate one. <laughs> and he is very beautiful. But we let him out for about, uh, we kept him in for four weeks, let him out and he disappeared for three days. We had to lure him back with pilchards. <laughs> he loves his pilchards. <laughs> pilchards, a secret I, weapon. Pilchards in tomato sauce. Apparently they train them to go through cat flaps with that. So all well, I quite understand that because I'm quite partial to a pilchard and tomato sauce myself. <laughs> it was a disaster a few weeks ago because none of the supermarkets had any. <laughs> I haven't had that for ages. I think you might have just inspired me to add something to my shopping list. Uh, yeah. now, Val, of course, the last time we saw you was in person. We actually bumped into yes, you on Main Chelsea. Avenue at Chelsea. Chelsea. You were hollering down, Alan Gray. <laughs> yes. And I thought, who is this bad person covering my name? <laughs> Turned around and it I was I hadn't got the energy to catch up because I had to get up at four o'clock to get the train. But you, were, you were rather laden down with bags and things, I think. Oh, I know, been... people give you things, don't they? And then you they do, yes. <laughs> and, you, you know, not only do you feel completely wasted by about three in the afternoon because you're so tired, you also look like a bag lady, despite <laughs> your best efforts. <laughs> Yeah, always. Um, did, did you walk away from Chelsea with any particular inspiration, Val? Yes, I did. And actually, it's connected to my flomo. Ah. So I'm probably not going to, I'm probably going to be mysterious here well. and make you wait. But I did definitely get some inspiration. On the whole, I was disappointed. I thought that the gardens re still relied far too much on flower to time when sea heads and all the autumn colours can be beautiful. And there's that sort of balance of decay and decadence in gardens, isn't there? Yes. I've got, I've got to that age myself, actually, decay and decadence. <laughs> I was just going to say, isn't it marvellous how the older you get, the more you appreciate it? Yes. <laughs> and the alternative is not much better, is it? No, it's <laughs> not. <laughs> but you well, hang in there. Celebrating, perhaps celebrating decay and decadence on the podcast today, I should give you a proper introduction, Val. Award-winning garden writer, organic yes, gardener. I have, I have two shortlists this year for the, for the awards. Oh, very So exciting. I'm really pleased about that. Probably award-winning again then. Uh, Val Irisborn, <laughs> I believe. Um, regular, yes. beloved of this podcast. We love talking plants with you because your knowledge is so vast. You're just such a great plants woman. So thank you for coming back. Um, did you have a, an easy time picking your show and tell today? You know, were you spoilt for choice? Well, you know, I've, I've got to the stage when the garden is really winding down. And because I was spreading leaf litter, and when I looked at the leaf litter bin, I thought there's not very much in there. I'll just put it on my trilliums and my hepaticas 
um, you know, and I probably won't have much room for anything else. But I had so I had this 20 barrow loads of leaf Well done. So I've been cutting down um hellebores probably far too early. So it's, uh, better, it's always better to do a job when you think about it than not to do it at all, Val. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I couldn't see where the hepaticas were and the trilliums were with all the hellebore foliage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what the question was now, you see. So <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered whether picking your show and tell had been easy or not. Oh, yes, it had been fairly easy. This is, this is um, a rather sort of sad-looking bit of stem. Um, but one of the things I actually cut down was Euphorbia griffithii, fire glow, which is an Alan Bloom plant. There's also a, a slightly shorter one called Dixter. And this is one of those herbaceous euphorbias that sort of comes up in April and you get these wonderful asparagus-like spears. And then you get the olive green foliage uh, and then you get these wonderful orange bracts, fiery bracts. And I grow it in one of my quadrants because it can ramble about. But I had never appreciated what color the stems go. And this is just a short length because of course I cut it down and I put it on the compost heap. And I looked at the compost heap this morning and thought, I'm not going in there, <laughs> not dressed like this. So I just cut a short length to show that wonderful coral pink color um, that was highlighted against evergreen daphnes. And, it was, and because it's one of those ones that pops up, every now and again and just sort of raises its head. Um, I'm really fond of this plant because, you know, it's, it's, it's got a presence in the garden for months on end. I agree with you, Val, because yeah. I think this, this is one plant that is very good at happy accidents. Yes. In my garden, I grew it in a gravel bed and it was growing next to a, a dwarf formium with pink and sort of olivey green stripes on the leaves. And that, the, that stem and those leaves complemented each other so much. It was just delightful. It is lovely. I, I used to have it in my old garden in quite a dank corner and it doesn't mind dank corners. It is Himalayan, um, mm. the actual species, but it seems to be able to cope really well in shade. And I had it um, next door to that yellow leaved um, Philadelphus. Um, oh yes. and when you saw the combination of the orange flowers and sort of acidy yellow, um, it did look really, really good. And if you had a few dark tulips nearby, it was a, just made a lovely trio. And I, and I really like the euphorbias, particularly the, um, sorry about the pinging. I don't know how to stop it. Very popular. Um, <laughs> um, it, it's, I like these perennial euphorbias that sort of die down to nothing. Um, and uh, I grow polychroma, which is now epithemoides, which is the foot high one that flowers in April. And you get that wonderful acid yellow pouffe. Yeah. It was so good with little blue bulbs and bluebells and things. And uh, I like palustrus, which is taller, which I've got along the back of one of my very sort of dank walls because they, they face south of the walls, but this is on the north facing side. And it's with blue symphytum caucasicum and Digitalis lutea, and it's just an easy thing to allow to happen. What a great combo. Yeah, it is nice. Um, and um, I'm very fond of this shrub. I don't grow that many shrubs with um, in perennial borders because I don't have as much room as my friend, Mr. Gray there. <laughs> We're going on to Acre Envy again, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Catinus cogigera royal purple it is very very available you know readily available but it's just one of those great shrubs because it's hanging on to its leaves they were purple in summer now they've gone this sort of muted color and when it gets cold it starts to develop shocking pink oh, flecks yeah. in my garden and um it's very good at setting off grasses you know grasses are beige they're boring rather <laughs> but if you've got them close to this and you've got the silvery plumes close to these wonderfully dark leaves. And um, I like miscanthus and I grow quite a few of them, um, but I also grow some of the miscanthus that don't uh, flower. And um, I think this is cosmopolitan. And I say that because there's actually two that are really identical, cosmo cosmopolitan and cabaret. And the variegation is reversed in one, but I think this is cosmopolitan. It is cosmopolitan. You're absolutely right. I've got it, and I've got it in flower, believe it or not. Well, it doesn't flower here because we're so cold. <laughs> but you can see that these two together, they really do make, they're on the corner of the border 
um, in the sort of far southwest corner, close to the fields. And they make a really, really good combination. I, li I like these uh, sort of foliage miscanthus as well. Actually, that miscanthus, you're right, it does flower with me because I'm warmer than you. But conversely, the yellow-leaved Philadelphus, wherever I put it in this garden, vast acreage as it is, it <laughs> always scorches. <laughs> Does it? Well, I used to have this yes. in, in, in the shade of a, of a rose that I planted, which I should never have planted. You know, yeah. you, you plant things and you think, <laughs> I, I should never have planted that. And you can't quite get the energy to take it out. And th this was wick war, a rose oh, with grey foliage. Thousands of thorns, lots of hips, and everybody at the time was raving about this wonderful rose. And I planted it and it, it grew into a triffid, even on thin hook norton soil where I was. But is that, um, uh, could I just tell you, ask a question? Is that why you moved, Val? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I moved because the best beloved and I needed to get a house together because we had two houses and we were in, only ever in one. So we decided we would buy a house together, but we couldn't find one that we liked. I liked it. He didn't like it. It's a long story. I won't go into the saga. Just well, thank God you both agreed in the end. <laughs> no, he bought it at auction without telling me. <laughs> just as I sold my house and, you know, I was due to move on the Friday and... Um, on the Wednesday, he went off at auction and bought this cottage. Well, did you have words about that? Well, he took me out here at 11 at midnight. <laughs> it was frosty and starlit and said, we're going to live here. And actually, it was really derelict. And if I'd seen it in daylight, I don't think I would have moved in. <laughs> that is so typically Joe. He's canny, your, your fella. <laughs> he panicked. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Cotinus, I was just going to say to you, there's an yes, awful lot of new, new varieties of Cotinus, and they're all yes. so good, including one that has um, yellow foliage. Now, that I can grow. It doesn't scorch on my soil. That's Smoky Joe? Um, Smoky Joe. There's one, there's one called Smoky Joe, which I can't get. There is. Oh, there's... And um, there's Graves, isn't there, which is... Yeah, mm. there, are all, there are lots of different ones. I think they're really good yeah. shrubs because they leaf up late, so I can grow lots of sort of snowdrops underneath without them being, you know, coming into leaf too early. And uh, because they hang on to their leaves right into November, you've still got that block of colour there. I'd, yeah, grow more if I, I'd grow more if I had the acreage. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask a beginner Katina's question, which is for the first time, um, mine, a few branches... The, the leaves went really crispy. So most of my cotinus, which is only a few years old, so it's not massive, but most of it's looking lovely. But there are just a few branches. I don't know if it's drought or disease or what it is, but I noticed a couple of others doing it. And I've never had that happen before. Well, I think it was a miserable year. I wouldn't panic too much. It was a very cold April. It was a very dull May. And then we had that hot weather in June. Mm. Things came into leaf late. So I'd give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. For the year. I cut one off and it was very much alive in there. <laughs> I do hack mine about, but I do like it to flower because it's called a smoke bush because it has these very fluffy, fluffy inflorescences. I must get it right. And, uh, you know, they're almost like a heat haze. They're sort of soft pink. But while, by the time the grasses come out in August, those inflorescences, <laughs> oh, those fuzzy bits, <laughs> have begun to fade and go a sort of beigey brown and they really pick up the grassy or you know heads of things like calamagrostis and all the other things so there's a sort of relationship between them and it, it's almost like a fragile I don't know gossamer covering on, yeah, I love it is. But, uh, conversely to that if you wanted to I mean if you if you're growing um if you're having a tropical border or an exotic border or something like that if you get one of the very dark-leafed cotinus and you stool them yes. and you cut them back to the stump, you'll yes. get huge wands of the most wonderful, wonderful foliage. Yes. You won't get any flowers, but you'll get the foliage. People who want really luscious foliage do that, you know, at the expense of flowers. So it just depends on what you want. But the foliage on cotinus is particularly amazing, I think. Yeah. 
they're absolutely beautiful and and you're right that that if you want to get a lot out of a small space in terms of your spring bulbs as well then yes. um, then they're on your side oh, yes and of course all those autumn things they they come up quite late yeah so um it's quite nice to have that fresh leaf when you've got you know new perennials coming up and i've got quite a lot of dark leafed asters there um which are rambling everywhere actually and need need attention <laughs> Don't worry, one of my um, asters, or I suppose Simfire trichomes, whatever they are, uh, had just completely splayed this year. I need to get in there and sort that out. But yes, I, it was looking, it had so many flowers. I didn't want to deal with it too early. So it's just. Bald. Well, if it's a consolation, I, I've had more floppy things this year than ever. And that was that dry spell. Oh, you no, know, it was really dry here. Um, and, and I mean, normally we get rain coming up the Bristol Channel, but we didn't this summer. No, so it was dry. strange. Mm. It is strange, isn't it? Because um, I think in our garden, things have grown exceptionally tall. Yes, um, yes. It's, it's very odd. And yet um, I was talking to, when we spoke to uh, Bledon Wynne Jones, he actually said that things, plants were about half the size that they should be in Wales. Um, yes. And I always think that, you know, the western side and, and to some extent Gloucestershire, where you are, Val, um, you get much higher rainfall than we do. Yes, I mean, I think probably it was the temperatures that affected uh, Blethyn's garden because my daughter went to Bangor. So yeah. I was a regular visit to Blethyn's garden and nursery and also the um, gardens around Anglesey and on that Menai yeah. Strait area. And um, they get this warm wind that comes down from Snowdon and it, it sort of bathes um, the whole area in this wonderful warm spring air. And I think it would have just been missing this year. Yeah, it's extreme cold. So yeah. I think probably they they get much more growth than we do. In fact, I have killed a lot of Blethyn's plants in the heart of England, because <laughs> actually, you know, we're just too cold for a lot of the things that mm. are collected in Taiwan and places mm. like that. That they Asian plants want um, a dry uh, winter and a wet summer, and we, we, we deliver the other one. We deliver <laughs> the wet summer. And I, I think that's a problem for us. Literally the opposite to what they want. I mean, I um, obviously it's been a, at various points a ge generally dreadful year in terms of temperature. And I, uh, months mm. back, we talked about trying to grow Lord Anson's pea. Now, I assume, Alan, you had great success with your latteris. Is it Novosa? Yes, Lathrus Nervosa had a complete failure with it. Oh, um, yes. But that's what happens. I mean, it's a miffy thing at the best of times. And um, I think probably I did a bit of research on it, and it sounds as if it, what it really likes is to scramble around in some very gritty, gravelly, um, rocky areas. So I've, I'd earmarked it for planting in the desert, where which is just gravel and yes. sand and subsoil and that sort of thing. Um, but I didn't get any germination whatsoever. I think it was bad seed. And I'm not saying it just because, but I mean, I had three packets um, <laughs> from three different sources. So, and, and they just didn't emerge. So I don't but know. I grew mine um, in a propagator and they, I, I managed to get germination. I gradually sort of lost them, but I, uh, I ended up with two, but they just didn't grow very well at all. They certainly didn't flower, but I am, um, having persevered so hard with these plants in my tiny plot I've, I've dug one up very carefully because I assumed it might dislike root disturbance and I've put it in my downstairs bathroom on the windowsill and it is happy as Larry yes it sent up another shoot it I, mean, I don't know whether it's going to continue to grow happily but it hasn't resented the move at all and it seems to be enjoying the warmth so I'm wondering whether just the fact that we had the cold spring whether I was just a bit doomed with my Lathris nervosa yes and also it was a very cool August as I can yes. testify from yes, my was. holiday in Cromer where it <laughs> the dizzy heights of 14 degrees on those days even my grandchildren wouldn't go in the sea I think the day that you came to visit me it was one of the coldest days in August that we'd had ever Yes. It was almost winter coat weather, wasn't it? Well, we'd had a worse day than that, actually. We, we, we had had one day um, where we'd been to a beach that they'd actually closed it because of the rough sea and the biting northerly wind. We tried to walk the dog across the sand and we did about a mile and turned back. Mm, you're lucky to have done that. <laughs> we had cool weather here in August as well. I think yeah. it was pretty general. Yeah, yes, it was. Mm. 
So anyway, I've moved my pee inside. It seems to be appreciating some central heating, weirdly. <laughs> and uh, we'll see. I'll keep you updated whether I actually ever get any success with this plant, but I'm persevering. And I, th and I think uh, having had this conversation, I should make a note to self to redouble my efforts. <laughs> yes. Put it in your bathroom. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it wants to be. <laughs> I mean, this is another shrub I really like. I don't grow loads of shrubs because I haven't got that much room. I'm so jealous. But this is um, Euonymus Red Cascade. And actually, there are some shoots in the border that are a real lipstick pink. And I really like this shrub because it's actually, um, it actually has a sort of tiered habit where it puts out sort of oh, that's, that's nice. branches, you know, a bit like um, uh, Viburnum Petus. Um, but it, it is sort of almost tiered and it stays fairly small where it is anyway. And I and there are lots of red fruits on it this time of year, but I was I didn't want to pick them. So I picked just a leafy shoot. <laughs> but I think Euonymus, they have such a way of colouring up. A lot of the uh, um, I've got planipes in the garden and that drops its yeah. foliage pretty quickly in September. But this one hangs on to it. And actually, it's got a really nice sort of winter bark as well. So I, I, I think if you wanted a, a smaller shrub, you know, to give you some colour, um, this red cascade, Euonymus red cascade would be very good. I'm, I'm feeling a bit tempted by that, Euonymus. Um, yes. That might just not uh, This my is looking rather ragged, but I've got a lot of uh, hardy, hardy chrysanthemums and uh, they're quite floppy this year. And this one is um, Ernest Wilson. I think there's a, there's a middle name and middle initial. But you'll H. get there with Ernest Wilson. Ernest yeah. H. Wilson, I think. Yeah, it might be E. H. Wilson, but it's certainly named after the yeah. explorer who uh, did, who introduced all those wonderful Chinese plants at the beginning of the 20th century. And look, with our weather, with our weather changing, as, as well, it is very yeah. changeable anyway. But um, I think it's all sensible to go for a late display because quite often, especially on the eastern side of the country, our autumns are quite benign. And these yes. flowers are hard exanthemums. They really come into their own. And I've just been noticing various nurseries on the internet. They've got loads of varieties today. Um, yes. I've, I've got, we've got um, the Emperor of China. And oh, that's a beautiful Emperor, one. Yes. It's tall and its, its leaves go beetroot rebel, re, red, beetroot yes. red, sorry, as the pink flowers unravel. The pink flowers are slightly sort of messy, which yes. lends a lovely casual air to it. And this yes. year, it, it, I've allowed it to flop, and it looks so much better being allowed to flop than it does if it's trussed up, because you, all you see is, you know, ugly legs. Yes. Allow it to flop, the flowers to come up like a swan's neck, and they smile at you, and it looks absolutely lovely. Yes. There's a national collection at Warwick. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, at Hill Close Gardens, and they sell a lot, but you have to actually, I think, go there. But um, they, they sell an awful lot of... Uh, Hardy croissants, and I've got some on the allotment. What I do is I've got a, an autumn border, and on the sort of um, southeastern edge, it's curved along the southeastern edge, I grow colchicums, which I know Alan has a national collection of, and they start with Nancy Lindsay, and then they go on, and I've got things like Benton End and Glory of Three, which is the most magnificent, slender, sort of pinky purple. It's almost like a a champagne flute with a purple stem. And then behind that, I've got Hesperantha, different Hesperanthas in shades of pink. Um, uh, and they're at, they sort of, the culture can start first and then the Hesperanthas and then the hardy chrysanthemums come out next. And it's not a tidy edge, but at this time of year, it's absolutely wonderful to go out and see fresh flower so yeah. late in the year. And more or less the colchicums have gone now, but the Hesperanthas are still in full flow. And some of the chrysanthemums aren't even out yet. So um, there's still things in the garden. Some of the roses are absolutely fantastic at this year, time of year. And this one is a rose called Pearl Drift, which is oh, yeah. um, Bill the Grice rose. I really yeah. like this in September and October because it always does the most fantastic show. And because I'm organic, I have to have very healthy roses that don't get black spot. And this is healthy. Yeah, those and leaves quite... are so green and glossy. Yeah, this is a low, um, a sort of low mound and this wonderful silver pink colour. And it has these, it's insect friendly, obviously, but it has these wonderful pink buds. 
I really rate this rose and it, it wasn't available for a bit, but it's crept back into the lists now. People like Trevor White have it. It's Pearl's also a very easy rose to grow from your own cuttings. If, yes. you're, if you're good with cuttings, I, I've grown quite a few of that particular variety from cuttings. And as you say, it is, um, once you've seen it, I think you realise that it, if a rose can look good at this time of the year, it's got to be a good one because yeah, it is it very healthy looking. Wonderful. It's got sort of cakey perfume. It's not, um, not I wanted to show you this one as well, which is always good at this time of year. And this one's called Pippin. And this is a big shrub rose. And this was actually uh, named after Peter Beals because when Peter Beals was a baby, he had cheeks like orange, Cox's orange Pippins. And this was his <laughs> nickname. And not long before he died, the nursery... Um, introduce this rose, which opens a strawberry pink, and it's a big rose. You need room for this one. Um, very healthy foliage, as you can see. And um, this, this always throws some late flowers. It's always very good. I have those big roses along my south-facing wall. So I've got things like Gardenia, the generous gardener, and they go over the wall, and it all goes really well until the donkeys are put in the field, and then they help me... <laughs> with my pruning <laughs> but you can't have everything in life but Pippin I really rate and I was so fond of Peter we used to go to Japan together to lecture uh, for, for many years and uh, he, he was a really good rose man Peter Beals yeah and that's a beautiful rose really lovely one have you got have you got more no I think I've done that <laughs> Well, I was, I mean, I'm not a, um, an autumn snowdrop person, but I was uh, anticipating some kind of autumn snowdrop from you. I have got some autumn snowdrops, but I don't want to you pick. You won't cut them, yeah? No. I've got Tile Barn Jamie out. Yes. Yay. It never does very well for me. Tile Barn Jamie is, was named after Peter Moore's nursery. Peter Moore had a nursery in Kent, and he grew all sorts of interesting cyclamen. But he obviously went collecting in the wild, and this is a form of Regine old guy. And that, that's probably the only form that I can grow, but it's not, it doesn't do that well for me. I don't really think we're warm enough here for, for those autumns, that particular autumn type of snowdrop. But I've got one called November November, which is about up about that much. Last year I had Ruby's Green Dream, which was out, but it's coming up this year. And um, the other one I've got is one I bought in a garden centre called Autumn Magic. And it was labelled an Elwesii, which it isn't, but it does flower really, really well. It's got about 20 flowers on it. But I, I'm not, I don't do oh, that well with the autumn ones. How's it going over at East Ruston with your autumn snowdrops then, Alan? Well, Tarbarn Jamie actually does like us. Um, and I think probably Val is absolutely right. It's because we're slightly warmer. Um, and Tarbarn Jamie <laughs> has um, increased rather well. I'm pleased with it, put it that way. It's not huge, but it's increased rather well. I've got two clumps of it, and I've got about, I suppose, 10 or 12 flowers on each clump, so that's quite nice. There are others that I have, which unfortunately... Regine Olga, they may be, but I don't know the names of them. But some of them are tiny little minuscule things. And I really feel that to, to appreciate them, perhaps they should be grown in a, an alpine trough or something like that. And that gives you a clue to my, my Flomo. Oh! <laughs> well, we'll come to Flomo uh, in a bit. Uh, so, Val, would you say that you just generally want to be in a warmer part of the country and choosing your kind of warm spot for uh, autumn snowdrops if you want to get into them? Um, I think they do need a warm spot. I think they need good drainage. But I also think they need moisture because one of the things that, because we're high here, in, where I've got Tilebond, Jamie, it gets a lot of sun because we face south. And it... and our soil dries out. There is no clay content at all in our soil. It's black and it's dark, but it's quite hungry soil. And uh, I think people um, with better soil, perhaps with a clay content or have got gardens that are lower near a water table. I've got a friend in Bolton on the water. She does really well with autumn flower, flowering snowdrops because she's right by the river. Mm. I can never remember, I think it's the Windrush right by the river, and she's got um, a lot of, you know, residual dampness in the soil. 
There was no sign of Tile Barn Jamie until it rained about a week ago. <clears throat> Sorry, you must excuse my throat. I think I might be allergic to Frank, <laughs> but I'm not admitting it. <laughs> yeah, so we don't do as well with those, but we do have a lot of early snowdrops. There's one called Don Sims Early, which always does well for me. Um, you know, that's, the, that's not showing yet, but I would imagine it's, it's going to be imminent, especially now I've been clearing off all the sort of uh, perennials and everything where the snowdrops are. A lot of my snowdrops are under roses. And so at this time of year, um, with these roses, particularly the taller ones that have got a lot of foliage, I take them down to about halfway in November because we're windy and it stops the wind rocking them. And that helps the snowdrops come up as well. That's a very good tip, Val, because um, I think we are increasingly windy in this on this island of ours. Yes. Um, and I think if people to actually bore that in mind to actually cut back your roses by half before you prune them properly, whenever that, whenever yes. you choose to do that, stop the wind rock. And if you, you would often get a plant if it suffers from wind rock, where the stem actually goes into the soil there'll be a it will make a large hole which is like a reservoir and it can cause rot and it can lead to the death of the plant so it's a very good tip well done yes well we have to do it here because we do get wind rock and we do mm. get those gaps but the other thing is if i've got a rose i don't yeah. keep roses that aren't healthy but um I have been known um, if I'm trying a rose and we've had a particularly wet summer and I'm sort of on the cusp of not knowing what to do with it and it's got black spot or some disease leaf. At this time of year, I will not prune it, but I will remove every leaf because they come away really easily mm. um, if they're slightly, uh, you know, um, I don't ever on get the way to die. very badly, but I sometimes get spotting. Yes. Um, I, so I, I will spend time taking the leaves off a rose like that and making sure that I collect them round. But I won't mm. prune anything until after Christmas. I, I love I love your knowledge. I was reading an article of yours. Um, did you do one recently about seed sowing? Yes, yes. Uh, and it was just brilliant. There were so many little snippets. I think it was a one of your Telegraph articles. Yes. So many little tips <laughs> Or ways of understanding plants. You were talking about things like um, if you wanted to sow a biennial and it wants to sort of make its rosette of leaves so that it can get through yes. the winter. It, it was all, it all just made so much sense. And I, you, well, you... thank you very much. <laughs> I do wonder if anybody reads um, anything that you write because you spend so long in your study clacking away when you really would rather be out there. But um, it's nice to know that. Well, thank it you. was actually I I read it and. Um, and it occurred to me, I, I should probably share the link somehow, because we had one of our podcast viewers in Australia is actually quite new to gardening and growing from seed. And they were like, I'd love you to do a sort of seed sowing special. I don't know if you I don't expect you to regale us with the entire article, but there were so many sort of really insightful points in that article. Would you you're kind of your top seed sowing, particularly at this time of year, I suppose, um, though, actually, in Australia, that's irrelevant. So maybe discount mm. that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you're, you're sort of top. I think <laughs> your it's top really recognising that plants want to um, spurt into growth at the right time. So if you've got an annual that's going to flower in the summer, a lot of them will want to grow in the spring. So it's really worth saving your own annual seeds and then planting them in the spring. There are exceptions. Umbellifers are, are better planted in the autumn. But when you come to a biennial, that's going to take that's only going to flower in its second growing year. It's very complicated. So you want it to, uh, you want to sow it in about the beginning of July, that sort of time here anyway, and then get a nice plant to put out in September. And then I'll overwinter as a rosette and then it will flower. And if you really want um, a run of biennial plants, whether it's something like Smyrnium perfoliatum, which is the most wonderful um, acid yellow umbellifer for sort of bright shade. You really need to um, sow three years running to keep that succession going because, you know, you're going to have these gaps. And if you're leaving them to self-sow, those seedlings probably won't germinate till the following spring. 
So it's always worth treating biennials in the way that you're going to plant three lots of them if you want to keep them going. And then with perennials, well, they're designed to, they're going to live a long time. Most of them want to germinate in the spring. So that's, but because they have short viability, the seeds, perennial seeds are the worst, I think, for having short viability, actually. Um, you know, you put them in as soon as they're ripe in most cases, and then you just overwinter them because they often need a cold shock and stratification, and then they'll germinate in the, that spring, but they won't always germinate in that spring. And I think in that article, I, I remember writing about a tray of cyclamen seeds that I had on the front of Woman's Weekly or something in the days when they were giving things away. <laughs> I think it was Woman's Weekly, and I thought, I'll, I'll sow that. And it was in the 1980s and I sowed it and I waited and I waited two and two years and nothing came up and I got impatient. So I just tipped it out into a hypericum right by the greenhouse. And about two years later, I had the most amazing array of cyclamen. <laughs> it just wasn't right for them to germinate. So I think patience with perennials, definitely. Um, you know, Annuals are easy to store. They, they, they just want to germinate. They have to germinate to perpetuate. They're the easiest seeds of all to sow. Biennials are easy, but you need to time it. If you sow them in the spring, you might well get plants that are too big too early. You really want a nice, you know, compact plant that you can put out in September. So it's just experience, really. And I've had, I, can give you I have had things that have taken eight years to flower. I've grown peonies and trilliums from seed. And what I put in the article is you could have your own family while you were waiting, but they cut that out. <laughs> i tell you what, one of the things that, that um, this is a story against myself because I didn't have the knowledge, but I remember years ago, so, sowing seed of a, of a variegated arum, I think it may have been arum mammaratum, that we had in the garden and the seedlings came up like mustard and cress and every single one of them had a plain green leaf. And I thought, well, these are no good. So they went on the compost heap. I was only to learn that only in their second year did yeah, they yes. very good. <laughs> I did that with trilliums, Alan, because <laughs> trilliums are what are called hypogeal. So the first stage of germination happens under the ground. You don't see anything until the second year. And in the Nearly second two. year, they put out a linear leaf that looks a bit like a lily seedling. So I grew all these trillium seeds. I kept them for two years. They came up with linear seeds. I thought they're wrong. I've got the label wrong and I shoved them out. It was only when I saw in my own garden, self-sown trillium seedlings, I thought, oh, you idiot. <laughs> You know, it's learning all the time, isn't it? And I do think if you're new to gardening, like you just said about things self-sowing in the garden, mm. um, I think that is probably the most exciting and the easiest way to grow some things is to maybe buy an initial plant of something that will set seed and let it set seed. And you can kind of observe what it does and you can dig them up. And I mean, obviously some things you can't transplant as easily, but lots of things they are quite easy to move. Um, yes. And they're kind of easier to just let them get on with it in the garden. My self-sown or liar grandiflora are always better than the ones yes. I grow. Yes, they are. I mean, I allow mine to self-sow. And last year I had a sort of forest. I think that sowing seeds is the most Harry Potter thing in gardening. <laughs> I mean, it is, isn't it? You start off with a packet of seeds. I remember when I was a child having 10-week stocks. Oh, yeah. It's only been six or seven and planting them along the path and then refusing to come in in the summer until it was dark because I wanted to smell the 10-week phloxes or whatever they're called. And, uh, you know, getting into trouble because my mother wanted to get me into bed. But I was sitting on the doorstep, resolutely waiting for this perfumed stock to release its fragrance. <laughs> I was an awkward child. <laughs> that is such a wonderful insight into a little Valborn. <laughs> oh, it is, it is. <laughs> But I, I did find that article wonderful. I did feel heartened that you said umbellifers and all liars were generally better sown in the autumn. And I have, I'd followed that advice before I'd even read it from you. Uh, I don't know if I'd yes. heard you say that, but I have tried that this year. Um, yes. And I think autumn sowing some things, it, it doesn't seem logical that you should be able to sow things <clears throat> in sort of, I don't know, August, September, even to October, well, uh, November. It, it but... is completely logical because when you think about it, your garden is 
developing weed seedlings in September yeah. and October all the time. So it's a it's a very, very good time for sort of germination, isn't it? Yeah. I think when you're a new gardener, you just get so indoctrinated that it's like spring is the time when things grow. It's quite hard to. to yeah, get rid of I, I do very little bricking out, actually. I used to do it. Nice back breaking job, isn't it? But mm. now what I do is I use modular trays, um, six by four modular trays and seed sowing compost. And I just put a tiny pinch of things like African marigolds. I think I mean African marigolds, the nice ones. <laughs> oh, that things like uh, I, I grow them in um, in these modular trays. And then when they fill the, the plug, the modular plug, they go into a three-inch pot and then they're um, put out in the garden. And this year I grew one, uh, a plant which I'd call an annual called Monada Lombarda, which has purple brats. And that is still in flower on my allotment among my dahlias. Monada lambarda, like the dance. <laughs> That's brilliant. So I, I try new things every year. I you know I'm still I'm still I'm still six, I'm afraid. <laughs> that is the excitement of growing stuff from seed. That's why I'm so dedicated to my lathyrus nervosa, because I tried it for the first time this year. Yes, and you've got to persevere. <laughs> I'm determined. Um, yeah. and, and like you said about sowing in modules, I think this is a tip I got from Alan as well, is um, with some things, just sowing them. I think you, you said about uh, Schultzias, Alan, because they resent yeah. root disturbance, actually just sow them in a little clump yes. that you can mm. move without disturbing yes. them. Yeah, I can't grow those well at all. Schultzia. We do it with the, the ladybird poppy because yes. um, everybody loves the ladybird poppy, a really deep red poppy with black yeah. spots. Um, at the base of the petals, yes. and we, we sow those in modules, and then we just and, and like you, Val, we prick them out when they fill their modules. They go into a yeah. slightly bigger pot, and then into the garden. Yeah. And um, it's a very good way of doing it. Yeah, that has self-seeded for me in the past. The, the lady, yes, and I but grow a, a lovely white poppy called Sissinghurst White, um, which is a form of opium poppy, and it's a it's a fairly pure white flower, single with a green middle. And it, and it was always grown in the white garden at Sissinghurst. And um, Sybil told me that they never called it anything apart from the white poppy. But now Chilton Seeds are selling it as Sissinghurst white. And that's that's a lovely thing. And I allow some to sell seed and then I sow some, you know, but you ha again, you have to be yeah. careful with poppies not to sow them too early. And it is knowing when to sow things as well. If you're dealing with a hard, hard a half hardy annual that needs warm temperatures, it's a waste of time me sowing those until about the middle of April, to be honest. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm cold and they, they soon catch up. Things soon catch up. And you don't want the seeds sitting in cold compost. But if it's hardy annuals, I'm in there in the middle of you know March and I will sow those and get those going. So I'm sowing in stages. That's a sensible thing to do. I think one of the things about Papaba somniferum, Sissinghurst white, for instance, if yes. you've got it in your garden, and if you have other Papaba somniferums, do be careful because poppies are a promiscuous lot. Well, this is a stable seed strain. That's is it? That's the usual thing about Sissinghurst white. So it, it won't cross with the others? It hasn't crossed in my garden, no. Well, that's marvellous. Yes. And, and occasionally I mean, you get a wonderful stand of, I had some ostrich double whites, and then, yep. you know, they're wonderful. And they I, they were really fantastic. And then they just disappeared. I mean, that's the thing about uh, opium poppies. They are promiscuous, but there is, that is definitely a stable seed strain. That's nice. Yes. Good to hear. And yeah, talking of, of when to sow things and not sowing things too early, you pointed out, I can't remember what it was, but some, this is the, going back to this article, something that had been sown, I think, at Wisley in June. Um, I, yes, you know, we had an annual trial. Uh, we had a trial of annual plants on the trials field at Wisley amongst all the perennials. The one thing you noticed was that was the plot where all the pollinators were. You could hear the buzz before you yeah. got there. And that is even me with my ridiculous ears I could hear it it was alive with insect life now they didn't actually sow any of those seeds they sowed them direct but they sowed them at the beginning of June I can't sow direct in my garden it doesn't work for me because I'm really working with small patches and they tend to get overshadowed but if you've got a cutting garden where you can sow straight in there are things like larkspur and bells of island that you wouldn't be able to grow probably 
by raising plugs anyway. You know, you need to sow them straight into the ground. Yeah. But don't do it early. And actually, I mean, Alan, I don't know how your sweet peas got on that you sowed, I think, on the longest day. But um, the frustrated gardener who's featured regularly on this podcast, Dan Cooper, he sowed some things like antirhinums, I think, on the longest day and has got some wonderful autumn flowers as a result. Yes. Well, I I have a friend called Graham White, who is a very good gardener, and he used to grow show sweet peas and he always used to sow his sweet peas on bonfire night and he learned that tip from um, the old um, sweet pea growers who were growing for exhibition so he would I haven't I've lost touch with him a bit which is a shame but um, he always used to say bonfire night and I'm going to sow some on that around that date this year. Uh, Alan how did your late sowing go did it work at all? It was disastrous. <laughs> well, I think, Disaster, I, darling. <laughs> I think what happened was the fact that we had such a cold August um, and it was completely cold. I mean, we, we, I began to wonder whether we'd ever have sunshine again. Yes. Um, and I think that really did for them. Um, the plants are still there. They're looking healthy. We've had about five or six flowers. Um, it was a sweet pea that I particularly wanted. One again that I saw at Sissinghurst in the cottage garden. Which one was it? Henry Eckford. Henry oh, yes, that's an old old one, Henry Yeah, Eckford. Grande Flora. Yeah. Um, and uh, they had it in full flower on October the 4th. I know it was October the 4th because it was the date of the Dixter Plant Fair. <laughs> 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 and we did both. Um, yes. So, yes, I think that's a... a, a it, it, I should try again, though, because, you know, just because it fails once, I don't think that should put anybody off. We all have things that fail. It doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, if first you don't succeed, try, try again. I think that's the other thing. Gardening is always swings and roundabouts. So you always Absolutely. get things that don't work. Yeah. And, and, and they don't work that year. And if you try them next year, they probably will work mm. because, you know, conditions are different. Yeah. And I think in many ways, um, gardeners are very optimistic people because they, they're regularly confronted with failure and things haven't <laughs> gone well. And they, then they, I- I'll try that again next year. Well, I think I think I was bear in mind my school reports when I walk around my garden, Val, and I think could try harder. <laughs> I was a terrible swat. I was. I I always worked really hard at school. You know, I I, I was known for concentrating, you know, and and drinking everything in. Surely, all of us got some sort of comment about talking too much, though. I didn't talk very much, actually. No. No, I had. I was very friendly with a girl called Anne, who was the star of the class. She was my best friend, and she did the talking for both of us. I became garrulous later. <laughs> well, unsurprisingly, I got told off for talking too much. <laughs> um, before we move on to some flomo, can I ask if there are any specific sweet peas you'll be sowing on bonfire night, Val? Um, well, I do like. Um, there are certain ones I really always like to grow. Um, one is um, uh, Gwendolyn, which is a frilly pink, very strong, very easy to grow. I usually go one, I think it's called Our Harry. It's a blue, it's a lavender blue. I quite like Jilly, which was named after Jilly Cooper, which is a sort of cream colour. I would have thought that would have been red hot. Red hot. <laughs> In the good old days, um, Unwins used to um, christen sweet peas and um, they would name them after people in August and the people would come to a lunch. So I saw lots of people like Darcy Bustle and all sorts of people, Norman Wisdom at these lunches. Um, I sort of don't grow. I do tend to stick to the sort of uh, tried and tested ones, though. You know, I'm not very adventurous with sweet peas. I often grow Lemington. Uh, which is a an old one, a sort of purplish one. Um, and um, I often grow one called Mrs. Bernard Jones for sentimental reasons, because I, when I was a nursing cadet, Bernard Jones was our pharmacist. And he oh, was nice. one of the most famous people. And he once bought me a, a bunch of sweet peas, which I thought was lovely. Aww. So I w- normally find room for Mrs. Uh, Bernard Jones. Um, I can't think of any other ones. I will have a a look at the catalogue. I've got quite a lot of seeds saved and stocked. The interesting thing about sweet peas is they are pollinated, uh, self-pollinated in the pod. So you can always save 
sweet pea seeds and they will come true to variety. I, it's worth saving your own. I want to say yeah. I didn't know that, but I only knew it from your article. I had yes. my splash of mm. a complete epiphany reading your article. I didn't know that until I, I yes. read it from you. Yes, so That is amazing. I don't think the seed companies like to tell you that, but it is true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, seed crops are all grown up. Fences are all, you know, they're not all segregated. If they had trouble with cross-pollination, they'd have to have a, an insect net to keep out yeah. the bees. But no, they don't do that. So. That's amazing. Mm. Well, I'm inspired. I will, on the video version, link to our sweet pea special that we did with Eastern Walled Gardens. There were there were more, yes. even more, yet more. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I do love them. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow them this year. I haven't grown them for several years. And actually, from that podcast, I mean, do go watch the whole podcast. But the other great tip was that they they basically grow them on sort of tubes, don't they, of wire? Because rather than a wigwam where you just get all the stuff at the top, they do a nice sort of cylinder um, so oh. that you get that growth round. Yeah. Well, one of the easiest ways of doing that is to buy some, a roll of deer netting. I say deer netting because deer netting is slightly more, it's less robust and slightly more malleable than, than pig netting. But yes. you can use pig netting if that's what you've got. And we make a tube of the netting and then we have three tall bamboo canes, which we thread through the netting and push those into the ground and they hold it steady. And yeah. it's a very good way. We, we did this once when we had a, a few years ago, we did a trial of um, annual climbers. Um, which we did in conjunction with the RHS. You may have seen them at Wisley. I did actually, yes. Yeah. I was so jealous um, of the Epimeas because I can't grow them. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, we had we had quite a good show that year because we yes. because we were doing it in conjunction with the RHS, and I think we probably took a little bit more trouble about it. But we've used consequently those supports have been used for growing sweet peas on. Oh, that's brilliant! Yeah, I mean, I would love to have more room. Mm. Can I can I can I move to your garden, please? Yeah. <laughs> it it would love you here. <laughs> I'm sure you've got a few acres at the back that you could just give over to Val. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, before we have to wind things up, we got very carried away with the seed chat, which hopefully was helpful to everybody. Yes. It was certainly helpful to me. Um, Flomo is our fun little feature, which captures that feeling all of us gardeners get when we see a plant and we have fear of missing out about it. I want it, I want it, we say. Um, so mine came from your article because you mentioned Dictamnus albus. Oh, yes. And I don't have that, but just tell us about the seed heads in particular. Well, they're like those star of anise capsules, actually, but they go through several stages. So you get the flowers and there are white forms and purple forms. Mine, mine is a sort of smoky purple and they're sometimes called burning bushes because they give out this noxious gas. Although I've never managed to light any noxious gases in the whole of my life, but apparently they do. That's probably in the heat of Greece or something. <laughs> and then they sort of um, flower and then they produce these star shaped seed pods which are quite furry and purple. And then they sort of turn into brown. Now that is a plant I have terrible trouble raising from seed. So it doesn't produce masses of seeds. When you get these rather promising looking capsules in my garden, you might get one or two seeds in each bit, but it's not laden with seeds. And I've just let them drop this year and in the hopes that they will self seed themselves because I have completely failed in a pot some things I, you know, you, you just can't get to grow. I can't get yeah. to grow Smyrnium perfoliatum in a pot, although other people can. So um, it is a wonderful plant. The only thing about it is it's quite susceptible to slug damage. Ah, I have a lot of mollusks. I don't have a lot of mollusks, actually. I have a lot of ground beetles instead. <laughs> but uh, so I don't generally have problems with it, but you can get problems with it. I think the best thing to do is just keep an eye on it when it, when the shoots are coming up and, uh, you know, uh, um, perhaps put some grit around it or some bran around it, because obviously I'm not going to recommend pellets. But it, it's a long, it's a slow fuse plant. It's going to take five years probably to, you know, make a good clump. I don't know whether Alan agrees with that. I do agree with you entirely. I think I've got one plant of it growing in the Mediterranean garden and um, I've never really bothered planting anymore because it is such a slow plant. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. Oh, well, one for the patient, patient yes. gardener. <laughs> my my, my flow mode's for the patient. 
Oh, okay. Well, it's all about patience on the podcast today, which is ironic, really, considering how impatient I am. And I think, Alan, you can yeah, be a little impatient. I don't think I'm known for my patience. <laughs> either. Um, Val, what is your FLOMO? Well, I have got two FLOMOs because when I went to Chelsea, I said that I wasn't impressed, but I was impressed by one garden, and that was the M&G Garden. Yes. Designed <laughs> by um, Hugo Bug and Charlotte Edwards because they had... Charlotte on- Harris. Harris, sorry. Yeah. They had, you're quite right, they had on it um, uh, that autumn palette of seed heads and one of the plants they used, because what they did is they kept all the plants they were going to plant in May and stuck with them. So they didn't go for a new lot of plants. So they had on their um, show, they had two plants I really loved, Amsonia illustris. Now this is the Amsonia in my garden and you can see it's got these dark pods and these yellow leaves. And this is Tabernae Montana, I believe. But they had Amsonia illustris, which was shorter. But it, in at Chelsea, although it was only the end of September, they already had these butter yellow leaves and dark pods. And I thought it was stunning. And with it, they had a penicetum with very dusky flowers called Cassian's Choice. And Noel Gardens uh, sell it. And it was, um, Penicetums have fuzzy caterpillars and they're quite difficult here. It's a form of allopecuroides, so it's quite hardy. So I could grow that here. And um, I'm thinking of um, ordering some and, um, you know, putting it round my Amsonia Tabernae Montana, but I'm also wanting to get um, illustrious. These Amsonias are a slow fuse thing. They have tiny little grey-blue stars in May, and they are very, very attractive. And they're one of the American uh, prairie plants that seems to be able to cope with our drier summers. Mm. A lot of them, you know, are hit and miss these days. Um, I tell you what, Val, did you notice also on that on that garden, the M&G uh, that Charlotte and Hugo designed, I uh, thought this and I noticed it, there were some lovely seed heads from Tulipa Sperengarana. Oh, yes. Um, they'd actually used them. I thought, yes. well, I just thought, how clever. Um, they were obviously yeah, going to use them in the early part of the year. Yes. I mean, my Tulipa Sperengarana, in about August, gets sprinkled. But they will mm. keep that shape, Tulipa Sperengarana. Mm. And for those of you who don't grow it, um, it is a species bulb and it will spread by self-seeding. It won't spread by offsets. So when you get a species bulb with two names like Psilocyberica, oh gosh, um, Narcissus cyclaminius, don't take the head off it. Let it self-seed because that's the way it spreads. And Tulipa sprangeri here, there's two or three patches of it. The best patch is in actual semi-shade. It's mm. popping up in a patch where I've got ferns garden mint and all sorts of other stuff and it's perfectly happy the last tulip to flower and it's burnished red and gold and it's a special favorite so if you've got a friend who's got some try and get some seed because that's the way to start it off yeah, they sprinkle it don't put it in a pot they are very expensive, so you can buy the bulb, but they are pricey per bulb. And if you would like tips on growing it, you can head to a video that Alan did um, to help get more people growing tulips from seed, because obviously it is a project yes. for a patient person. Yes. I don't <laughs> it, 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 I think tulip asprangeri will produce a flowering plant within about three years here. Yes, but two things can I just say. First yeah. of all, if you want to grow it from seed and you don't want to risk pulling it out of your garden, sow it in a seed tray and cover the top with a layer of potting grit. Yes. You, the, when the bulb seed germinates, they're like little blades of grass. So don't pull them out and think they're, they're <laughs> grass, for goodness sake. And the other thing I would just say is being a species tulip, the bulbs are much smaller than these great boiled eggs on sticks that you buy yes. um, for your bedding scheme. So don't be too worried if the bulbs are small. And indeed, as Val says, quite rightly, in three years, you'll have a flowering plant. And, and I, I do love the foliage. Um, yeah. It's a really bright, vivid green foliage. I think the foliage of Tulipa sprangeri, when you see it coming up, is really exciting. I just leave it to its own devices. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, ha I haven't sort of sown it. Um, in a pot 
Well, Jane Ann Walton, the wonderful plants woman who lots of you, well, if you're not following her on Instagram, you need to, but we've done uh, a couple of features with her, particularly on auriculars, because she's a specialist grower of, um, of auriculars. But she did say to me, watch out if you sow it in a pot, because they have a tendency to sort of go out the bottom. Yes. <laughs> disappear. Yes. <laughs> a lot of things do that. Roscoe is in a pot. You know, you, mm -hmm. find, you find that they've crept through a hole. <laughs> At the bottom, they're right at the bottom of the pot. They're out the other side. I've given up with Roscoe's though. I can't. I can't grow them here. They're just not, not for me. Well, I've got a seed tray full of Sprengeri seed that hasn't germinated yet. But what keeps happening is the place I've put it in the garden where it's nice and sort of out of, out of the way but sunny. Um, it's really near my salvia royal bumble, so I just have to keep getting royal bumble seedlings <laughs> keep turning up in the tray. Like you're not supposed to be in there, um, but you know I do get more royal bumbles as a result, so that's happy. Um, Alan, mm -hmm. where are you at with your flomo? Well, I have. It's a flomo that I've got, and I've just bought more of it because it is a. This is a wonderful, wonderful plant. It's an alpine plant called Buchanisia. You Ooh. know it now. No, I don't think I do. Well, it's Buchanisia uh, carulia. No, I've got that wrong, sorry. <laughs> Calbu Calbulica. Calbulica. It's either Cal or Cabulica, but Buchanisia, it's spelled B-U-K-I-N-I-C-Z-I-A. No, it I don't makes, know it at all. It makes the most wonderful rosette of mottled pewter foliage that clings to the surface. I've got it planted in a piece of tufa. On its, on its side in one of my alpine troughs. So there it gives you a clue to its cultivation. It yes. wants to be moist but well-drained. Um, and it, it loves these, the liminess of, of um, tufa. And it has just spread and made this... It's like... I was going to say it's like a living thing, which, of course, it is, but I'm, I'm thinking more like an animal than a, than a, than a plant, in a way. Yes. I mean, it's like we say, something like a sea anemone. Um, the way it sort of kind of clings to the surface. The, the pewter coloured foliage is mottled in about three shades of, of grey and silver and pewter, and it is just the most stunning, arresting plant. It hasn't flowered yet, and when it does, apparently I can grow it from seed. Um, but oh. it, is the kind of, it is the kind of plant that I think it, it would stop you in your tracks if you saw it. It's worth looking up. So that's my, my moment. I've just acquired yeah. a new book on bulbs of Iran and Turkey, published yeah. by the Alpine Garden Society. It's written, the photographs, a lot of them were taken by Peter Sheesby and Chris, Kit Gray Wilson has done the yeah. text. And it's a fascinating read. It's got so many um, colchicums and crocuses and snowdrops and all sorts of things in it. So I thought I'd just mention that. Yeah. Try and, and plug that book. Worth uh, noting, if you are bamboozled by the spelling that Alan just gave out, these podcasts come with full plant lists, which you can find <laughs> on in the in the show notes. So they'll be in the audio, the show notes of the audio podcast and the video podcast, and we do visual sort of picturey ones on our social media at Get Gardening Now. And actually, they're all now on our new website. So getgardeningnow.co.uk. There's a plant list section. So all of the plant lists are listed there so you can go back and relish all of the wonderful plants from the past 64 episodes um but uh, <laughs> certainly if i'm listening to an audio podcast and someone says a plant i don't know you're sort of squirreling away trying to figure out how to spell it hopefully the plant lists will help i should be straight on the computer <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Val. Yet again, just a wonderful planty chat. I just, my, my heart feels full of planty goodness when we talk to you for an hour. <laughs> it's very nice for you to ask me again. I would just like to say thank you to Val because um, I've, said, I've said this to her before that every time we speak, I learn something and I've got a page of notes here. Um, and <laughs> from Euonymus Red Cascade to Rosa Pippin, um, Valborn's seed saving article in the Daily Telegraph is a must. <laughs> go and find that and read that. Um, and it's just just absolutely wonderful. Two things I'd just like to talk about in, in my garden. First of all, one is um, in impatience, and it's impatience that was given to me by Christopher Lloyd. Um, impatience um, Balfourii, two-turned little pink wow. flowers. It's a hardy annual. It can be a bit invasive, but it's nowhere near as invasive as that big old balsam job. Um, but it's still flowering away now. And it's it's a beautiful thing. The other thing that I've a uh, plant that I've had fallen in love with this year, I suppose, is a Rigeron annuus. 
It's a white Oh, yes, that's, that's seeding all over my garden. <laughs> yeah, it's a white daisy. Yes. Once you have it, hopefully you'll never lose it. But yes. it's so easy to harvest the seedlings, which is what we did this year. And we just, if you're planting a new border, just put ribbons of it through the border yes. and it just brings the whole thing alive. It's a great dixter plant, isn't it? They use it there. They do, and yes. And it's one of those cunning plants that it flowers and sets seed at the same time. Yeah. So you can't cut it down and prevent it from self-seeding. No. It's doing it at the same time. Yeah. And it seems a bit uncharitable to say I'm taking it out, but I am taking quite a lot of it out. And um, but because I haven't got this vast acreage to move it. <laughs> so you're editing where necessary. Be good to live near you if you've got all these uh, all these clumps of plants to give away. Yes, well, shame I'm so far away. Into our village fate. <laughs> uh, well, good luck with dealing with your Iridron annuus, and thank you for regaling us with so many wonderful plants. I can't wait till the next time already. But in the meantime, happy gardening. Happy gardening, everybody. <laughs> hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.